Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. In this episode, once again, I am joined by Adrian and Dan, and we talk about distrust in leadership teams. This is something that we run across very often in our work when we consult with a company. The very first item of business usually is to find out where the distrust is in the leadership team, whether that's the executive suite or upper management. We know that if there's some sort of change that's wanted to be made in the company and it's not happening, there's probably some distrust happening in the leadership team and we want to boil down to what that is. Now, there's something that goes hand in hand with this that I want to tell you about that I tell you about in every episode that is the change imperative. It's over 60 pages of an ebook that Dan wrote about creating change and managing change within your organization. It's brilliant. It tells you about the characters that show up whenever you're trying to implement change and how to work with them. You can go to change-imperative.com and get your free copy. He's giving it away. I think he's crazy. Uh, But yes, he's willing to give you a free copy. Go there, grab your own copy of the Change Imperative. Now let's dive into the conversation about distrust in the leadership team. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. With me today, I have Dan and Adrian. How are you, gentlemen? Hey, doing good. Thank you. Today, we're diving into uh, leadership culture. This was uh, uh, recently with a client. We were going through some... We were on on a call with their leadership team, and you, one of you used this term that I had not picked up on up until this point, and that was leadership culture. We talk a lot about organizational culture. We talk a lot, and to me, that's like the umbrella of the entire culture of the company. And I hadn't stopped to think a lot about all of the individual cultures. You could you could talk about department culture, you could talk about team culture. And I just I was struck by this idea of leadership culture, taking it, chunking it down into these parts that make a whole. And what is their role in contributing to the entire culture of an organization. So was really just uh, inspired by this idea. And I wanted to talk specifically about distrust in leadership teams. Distrust in leadership teams is something we see a lot. And uh, there's a lot of dynamics there. There's a lot of powerful players and personalities and egos that are coming to the table naturally, right? When you have a table of leaders, you it's a package deal often. And so there's, there's some navigation there and some observation that's available for us to, to see why there might be some distrust and what to do about it. And that's kind of where I wanted to start. So as I start off talking about distrust and leadership teams, how does this often start to show up? Like, what are some of the symptoms that we see well, in the leadership team when, when there's distrust present? Yeah, let's talk about culture a little bit first. Is that cool? Of course. Like, like, what is culture? Because, you know, it's such a, it's a label that people, may, we all go, yeah, like this, but we all might have different meanings. And so, <laughs> right, yeah. And so, you know, when, when we're talking about culture, what we mean is the, if there's, there's a glue, there's something holding the, the team together. So in this case, let's say the leadership team, those who are leading teams, there's a glue that, that holds them together. Okay. So there's certain things. When I say this glue, I'm talking about a way of listening. Like, so we, we live in questions, right? We, we live in 
We live in, we're listening for certain things. Like when I say listening, think of it like radar. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you've been beat up and abused a lot uh, as a young kid, you're going to listen for, uh, you're going to make sure that when you walk into a situation that that's like you're aware of where that might be. You're listening for how you might get beat up or, you know, how you know, like, like you're in your radar wants to pay attention to it because it doesn't want to get stuck in that position again, or it doesn't want to be caught off guard. Right. You don't, you want to keep yourself in a healthy position. So in cultures, there's, when you talk about listening, that means that people are listening for certain things that are acceptable. Like this is what we want together. And then there's certain things that are unacceptable. This is what we don't want together. And that's going on before anybody, like when we all get together, there's, that's already going on. And when somebody new comes into the culture, they start to tune into it pretty quickly. And they, they realize that there's certain things they can say and certain things they can't say. So they learn and they want to know what they can say to get ahead. So they're listening for how to get ahead, which how they want to get ahead may not really match up with what the culture is. And, and so they, get, they run into bumps, right? And so understanding kind of being clear about and working with this dynamic, this background conversation has a lot to do with it because with, with the ability to work together. Right. So if, if um, we have, let's say in our culture, it's not okay to have conflict. It's not okay to get upset. So people, when they're upset, won't voice their upset or they'll voice it in ways that are minimized or, you know, They'll voice it in a way that may not even come across like they're upset because they know better than to do that. Because in that culture, it won't be received well. So they hold on to their upset. Mm -hmm. Or if in our culture, we don't have time for failure. Uh, If you're failing, you're bad. Then people will only do things that they know they can succeed at. Right. If that's what's acceptable, unless and and then you've got to create. Now, if you want to break through that, you have to create language that makes it okay for that to be talked about and be able to talk about it in a way that opens up what you literally want. So those are when we talk about culture, we're talking about the unseen expectations, if you will, of the people that make up that culture. And it's unspoken. It's just and it's always there. And so getting it into the light makes a big difference. And by the way, so that leads into trust. So if, yeah, I was going to say. So what kind of listening contributes to the trust factor? Trans, radical transparency and radical openness. <laughs> we're we're back to that. But but let's let's think about that trust. Like if if it's not okay to be upset, or it's not okay to make a mistake. Then when you make a mistake, you're not going to trust that it's going to work out. You're going to have a fear about it working out like you could be in trouble because you failed or you, you know, whatever the whatever the thing is you're not supposed to do. That's why radical openness and rad- radical transparency is the ability to say what's really going on with a commitment to get to what you're committed, you know, like a commitment to get to the other side, to have it work for you. And then radical openness is 
listening, being able to hear it and and open up, like like do the forensics and vetting that's necessary to get to what's wanted and needed. And that, in, in that case, I need to be ready to hear things that piss me off so that I can understand what's going on, right? I have to, I get, I get the opportunity to control and manage my emotions so I can listen and connect to what the person is saying. Usually my upsets because of what I'm talking to myself about what they're saying. I don't like what they're saying. I'm judging them. I'm evaluating what it's going to blow everything up. We're never going to, I see some future that's tra tra tragic. So now I don't even want to get into it. Right. So, but if I don't get into it, it's going to produce distrust because I'm going to let that person know in so many words that what they're experiencing isn't going to work here and we don't want to hear it. Hmm. And that, that's the beginning of distrust. Yeah. Because is that person now going to want to bestow trust? Are they going to want to get? Because trust is means I'm willing to get vulnerable or to put myself in a place where I could be hurt for the value of what could be produced. Hmm. And so if I don't have that, if I'm not willing to bestow that trust, I'm not willing to say, okay, I'm going to throw in. Yeah. Then you're not going to get my voice. You're going to get who you're going to get who I think you want to hear, not what's really going on over here. And so we're never going to be correcting from where we really are. We're going to be correcting from where we think we ought to be. Mm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. And that produces more distrust because when you correct from where you think you ought to be, your actions have less power. They produce less results. You have a greater rate of failure. You can't talk about failure. And now the distrust grows even more resentment and so on yeah part of other things that are happening in this conversation are you know it's it's the framework of are people stuck a certain way or are people a fluid choice you know are are we dynamic or are we always the same because a lot of distrust shows up like judgment and yeah and a lot of time when i talk when i talk talking about judgment in this context i'm it sounds like that's who Tom is, which is usually code for this is how Tom's been. And he's always going to be that way. Right. So it's a commitment to, Tom, to seeing Tom in a diminished way. That's what that is. Right. So he's only this. And so now I'm going to operate with Tom as if he can only be this and usually resent him for being that way. Talk about him for being that way. Do Tom's work for him. Blame Tom for that. <laughs> you know, and and but that is a view that Tom is always that way. It would be vulnerable to go to Tom and say, "Hey, Tom, this seems to be happening." Yeah, and I don't know what I mean. Some, I mean, the most vulnerable thing is to say is I don't know what to do about it. Um, but I but I, here's what I want. You know, but that would require trust. Most people aren't up for that. Mostly because, hey, I mean, we all know we're pretty broken people, too, and imperfect. And so most of us won't go have a conversation with someone around what might be in the way between them and their future. Because we don't want people to do that with us because we're hard as hell on ourselves. Right. So if I am speaking to someone about what's missing for them, we usually don't do that because we don't want the tables to be turned. And a lot of times people get defensive and start throwing stuff back to you. And because I haven't done I don't trust myself is another way of talking about it. Like I don't actually um, believe that I can shift and presence my way in a new way, like show up to work in a new way. 
you know, reinvent myself in real time, listen beyond my own frustration, like all the things that get that that I'm experiencing that I don't have a handle on or I don't actually am not in the ownership seat for myself. I'm less apt to go do that with someone else because it might reveal me the parts of me that I'd rather hide. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't talk like this at work, right? We don't normally talk. We Most people are going to say, that's for the shrink's office. And I'm saying, that's what's happening at work. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, I was thinking about, a, a, we had a project where we had two competing U.S. companies that were working on a joint project, I, like to the tune of $650 million possible profit for both of them over a two-year period. And nothing was moving forward. It, you know, it seemed like nothing could get done. No matter what we did, it was always a point of disagreement or argument. And and when we asked both teams to think about the assumptions that, that they brought with them to their, their new working partnership with their competitor, they started to discover that fundamentally an underlying, like like the fundamental underlying judgments uh, and evaluations, assessments, et cetera, that they'd, they'd had about each other were like, they are our competitors. We can't trust them. Mm-hmm. Our engineers are better than their engineers. We do things our way, the right way, right? They do things the wrong way. Whatever we do, they're going to steal and use against us in the marketplace. Yep. They're, you know, steal our contracts, et cetera. So no amount of leadership could have built teamwork on top of those unspoken assessments or on top of what they already knew. You know, kind of like their automatic listening. They already, they didn't question it. They just knew this was going to be that way. So why would they say these things, right? Because they had these assumptions. Then as soon as we started getting those assumptions to the table and they could see them and they were aware of the automatic listening, it created a whole new dialogue that we could have. But it took some time. And they, just like you said, Adrian, one guy kept saying, what are you, a counselor? I'm not, you know. I said, oh, are you having these thoughts? Well, yeah, I am, but what does it matter? Well, so you don't think your thoughts are consequential? And and so then that's what opened it up, right? Yeah. Like, I don't care what you did with, I'm not here to find out about your childhood. I'm just simply here to get the job done. And if you think about it, the way you suspect somebody, if you don't have trust for them, you're not going to share the vital information necessary to get the job done. So let's get that shit on the table now, or let's, let's call the home office and tell them, forget the $650 because We've done three weeks now and gotten nothing done. Yep. And he, he was great. He was like, okay, got it. Yeah. Well, I mean, this connects to our last episode too. We just talked about, you know, using other people like tools. And I, I mean, it's worth exploring for everybody that's listening to this. And that's a top leader. I'm sure you are if you're listening here is how often you treat yourself like a tool. Yeah. You know, like, like you are what you produce instead of you're a human being throwing yourself at, at this outcome. And, 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 and if you're a leader, throwing yourself to the wolves every day, throwing yourself up, I mean, get, laying yourself out for the sake of this group of people that are, that are responsible for delivering. That's a very vulnerable work. We call this naked leadership podcast because this is what it feels like. I'm actually, you know, I, 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 I need you this leadership team to deliver on these things. And that's a vulnerable position to be in. And, you know, I think leaders don't slow down enough to say, hold on, I am not my output. I am not, you know, the work that I, that I deliver. I am not only. I am not my results. I am not my lack of results. That's right. I'm not even the conversation 
that I'm having, I can change if anything I can observe. I'm not. I yeah. 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 When so many are just so, are slaves to, they only obey this perfectionistic conversation or the shame conversation, which are just not, both of them are dead ends and self-protective and won't get you what you really want, which is to be seen, to be appreciated, to go make a difference, to be leveraged, to feel like you're really engaged in something that matters for you. And, you know, and that, that's a vulnerable state. What we need is trust, right? That's what we like. That's what we want. Yeah. Cause that's what, we, what enables the vulnerability, right? Yeah. Like, but it's not like trust is out there somewhere. Right. Not right. Like trust just shows up. It's like, I decide, and this is the thing I guess I'm asking to consider is that what if trust was something you bestowed? I've used the word a few times. Yes. And you say, I say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself here. I'm going to give myself in a vulnerable way because I could be judged or fired or whatever, but I'm going to say it because I believe it's necessary for the project. That's trust. And that's, that's trust because I don't get to know what the outcome necessarily is. I don't get to know if they're going to fire me or dislike me. I, I just trust that I'm going to say this, it's going to make a difference. And those things could happen. Hmm. I love this idea. Uh, I mean, at least what I heard from you, Dan, is that uh, nobody's going to hand me trust. Like nobody's going to come along and be like, here, here you go. You can trust me now. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's me. It's my opportunity to step up and start risking myself and trusting others uh, to, to handle my vulnerability in a way that will be productive. And I'm, I'm interested, you guys have mentioned so many of them already, just in a lot of different ideas. I want to talk about the symptoms of distrust in a leadership team specifically. I mean, if we're talking about a, a, a team of people who are laterally together in the company, right? There's, there's not that up-down dynamic, and they're setting the tone and the culture for the, the rest of the of the of the company, can we just simply, uh, they may be in conflict with the rest of this team and not even recognizing that distrust is part of the problem. But I'm just wondering if we could name some of the symptoms that we've witnessed or that we've seen so that it might help people identify, well, is this a distrust problem yeah. or a trust problem? Well, I mean, a few symptoms I can, I can rattle off a few, you know, I mean, the first one, and I was just thinking about this right before you started talking, Chad was like, um, there's a lot of resignation, resignation and obligation and like unspoken frustration. Like those are the first three that come to mind for me. Yeah. Uh, minimization, uh, attempting to confuse, obfuscating, misunderstanding. Like, like you notice that no matter what's said, people misunderstand it. Yeah. Uh, deliberate postponement, being late on a, a chronically, right. a, attacking, total inattention. Silence could be a sign of distrust. Right. Lying is a sign of distrust. Yeah, withholding information is one that comes up for me as we see, like, yeah. from department to, to department or leader to leader, wanting to withhold information that could be valuable to the other leader. Yeah. That, one's, that one has always been interesting to me. Yeah. 
Go- oh, that, that, that silo, right? It's like yeah. Keep her in, you know. Yeah, go- gossip's a huge one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I'm gossiping because I don't trust myself. I gossip to you about Adrian because I'm afraid that I don't trust myself with Adrian, but I would say I don't trust Adrian. Yeah. Right. And when I talk to you about it, I'm just reaffirming my distrust for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Anonymity is a sign of distrust. Meaning, I mean, we do this all the time where we're like doing surveys and that kind of work. And are doing 360s, and people lo- would love anonymity. Yeah, and if you're if you're going after a quote unquote safe environment, that really makes sense. But in that regard, safety is really dangerous. You know, but, but desire for anonymity, desire not to put my name on things, that's a sign of distrust. Yeah, and you think about it: if it's feedback, and you don't want to put your name on it, it really the other person has no chance to explore what they could learn from. What triggered that for you? Yeah, from them, right? Because people don't trust that. the The distrust is that if I tell them, I'm going to they're going to retaliate, or the organization will retaliate, or something's going to happen, and therefore I don't want to get vulnerable to that. Yeah, and and you will say, well, let's go, let's talk about that, let's go to HR. No, no, you don't understand. Then I'll be marked for life. Yeah, and that's you know you think about it, but that exemplifies a culture that has been clear about what it doesn't want to talk about. And the only way it's going to shift is by ironically talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) The obstacle is the way. (laughs) It's the way. And, but you know, you think about it, it's understandable because most of us, you know, we go to work and we learn how to do our job and we learn how to work our machines and we learn how to ask for what we need, you know, like, you know, we know what the outcomes are. But we're never really, we don't do a lot of exercise on how to be with one another, how to work with one another, mm-hmm. how, to, how to resolve a breakdown, how to talk about something, how to have a brainstorming session, you know, like how to have, how to have a meeting that's productive. Like what kind of listening does that? You know, if you think about it, meetings, people distrust meetings because they just, a lot of times they don't talk about issues that are vital because they don't, they're afraid to get them on the table because of what can potentially happen. Right? Yeah. So the culture is then the meeting gets dry instead of something that brings people to the table. Yeah. yeah. I mean, l- lowering expectations is another yeah. um, indicator of distrust, right? I'm thinking about meetings, like people hate meetings. And a lot of times that's a, that'd be good feedback because the meeting wasn't effective, but that's not, it's not the meeting's fault. Like the meeting doesn't even happen. There's no meeting that's happening. There's a bunch of people sitting around. Nobody's generating a purpose for our time we're investing together. Right. And, 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 you know, if the leader's not, whoever's meeting it is, no one's decided to ask the person, what's the purpose of the meeting? Yeah. Or stood up when there's no purpose, stood up and decided what the purpose was or give, gave their idea about, Hey, well, I don't know. You know, here's the biggest thing for me today. Like, that's what that would sound like. Here's the thing that I need to get done today. Here's the thing. Here's why. Here's where I need you guys. Here's where I'm struggling. Any of those would work, but you don't want to do that. So you'd be quiet and then blame the meeting. But that's because there's distrust either of self. Like, I don't trust that I can stand up and sustain that level of commitment. Really? Mm-hmm. So, or I'll distrust them. Yeah. Bossman, peers, whatever. 
Yeah, it's interesting as you talk about this person who might not want to be. What I heard was, I don't want to be held accountable from here on out as the guy who leads. <laughs> yeah. If I stick my neck out now, do I always have to stick my neck out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Little little window into my <laughs> into my rackets. <laughs> so how do we? You know, we talked about the obstacles, the way, the way to do that. We don't want to talk about it, but the way to get through it, or to to at least be with it, is to talk about it. How do we start to talk about it as a leadership team? Somebody who are a group of of individuals who have been hired because they're highly talented, probably highly driven, and a lot at stake for each of them. I'm thinking of the leader who is part of this team, part of this coming to this table, and I want to see change. But for all of the reasons that we've already talked about, I distrust the people at the table. Well, I, w- I would say first, if I can go just quick, and then um, you know, do you want to keep working here? Is the next first the first question? <laughs> do I want to stay here? Great question, right? And and that answer will determine what's next, right? Because if if you have that level of distress now, you've been withholding. Uh, you, there's conversations you've been unwilling to have. You've yeah. been judging. You've been positioning. You've probably gossiped. You've probably there's lots of things that you've done to get it to where it is. So the intervention will need to start for you internally. But the first question is, do I want to be here? And if that answer is no, then great. Don't solve the distrust issue. Start looking and go get another job. By the way, you'll bring all that behavior with you. So you'll be generating it over there. But as far as is it worth to have the conversation, what future do I want? That's the first question. If the answer is yes, then you show up to the conversation in a distinct way. But you know, getting clear about the future that you're committed to having and committed to creating I would be the first question. Specifically, yeah, right. Yeah. And then and then what have you been holding back that you've been unwilling to talk about? Right. And owning that. Like and then being able to like cite the issue. We've gone through this on our in our thing, but cite the issue. Yeah. yeah. An example. Like starting that up, being able to bring a difficult conversation is a skill. It and it needs to be practiced and yeah. requires prepar- preparing for the conversation. Sometimes even you know, writing an agenda for the meeting and, you know, but confessing, owning. The big thing is if I own that I'm the one withholding the distrust, if I don't externalize it on the people, but I realize that I have the distrust and what do I need to establish trust? So now I can say, and why do I have the distrust? So here's why I have the distrust. Here's an example, right? Here's how I've, here's how I've contributed to it. Here's what happens for me when it comes up, but here's what I'm committed to having. Can we talk about this? Right. Just that simple process can help somebody else engage because I'm owning it. I'm saying what I see. I'm showing them. I'm talking about an example. I'm showing them that I do see how I've contributed. Uh, can even talk about what I'm afraid of, you know, all that stuff and where I think this is going to go. If we keep going, like if we keep this up, I'm afraid this is going to go here. So I'd love to talk about it. And yeah. here's, here's what I want. I want yeah. to reestablish trust. I want to hear what I missed with you. You know, the, you know, the, the two, the two natural blockers are always there. Ego, ego and blind spots, right? And a blind spot, you can tell part of a blind spot is I don't have language to talk about what I want to talk about. How do I do yeah. that? Yeah. 
I was thinking, you know, Chad, with your question, because to, to frame your question again, it, it is, I think, is or isn't it, uh, you know, if you've got a leadership team that's dealing with distress, how do you deal with it? Yeah. With yeah. And especially, I mean, I, I can imagine most of our um, m- most of our audience or people that will be listening to this are just not just, but just a part of that team, not necessarily leading that leadership team. Yeah. Some. Yeah. Well, Principally, as we talk about this, we usually talk about what you, you know, to really have any kind of breakthrough on a team, you must talk about what you don't want to talk about. Like that's where you begin. Principally, that's where you begin. Now, part of this is a couple simple things to do to get into that conversation is uh, elicit feedback. Most leaders don't want feedback. Most leaders don't give feedback feedback. And even just as a leadership team to take 20 minutes and to talk about if our meetings are effective or not, that will bring up all the conversations you need to have. (laughs) You know, what's not, what's happening in these meetings, what's not happening in these meetings. And then that'll be the, the symptomology, what, why we've settled for this and why we've not stood for this, you know, like that, like the underneath that's, that's going to, you know, flush up the, the sources of distrust, you know? So feedback will do the trick almost all the time because it will reveal how much we don't trust each other and why we don't trust each other and why I'd rather not deal with you as a human. I'd rather deal with you as a tool or a thing to get what I want. Yeah. You know? And you brought up something interesting, Chad, like if I'm on the team and I'm not leading the team, well, but you are leading yourself and you are leading the value you want to get out of it. So, you know, you got to look up and say, okay, contextually, what's the best way to deal with this? It could be, do I bring it up in the group? That might be a very appropriate thing to do. Mm -hmm. Or do I go to the person I least trust and have a private conversation, confess that I don't trust them and why and so on and so forth and mend that, reopen that relationship. Mm. If it doesn't get talked about, it's, it's, believe me, if you're having that feeling, it's probably somewhere else on the team as well. So by owning it, you're inviting other people in as well. And you might learn, you're probably going to learn something you didn't even know you didn't know if you, yeah, conversation, right? Yeah. I mean, we're working with, we're working with a, a, a team, a company and a, and a leadership team now that is, we're looking to, we're creating a, a grid for them. And, and part of the grid is around how stuck a leader is. And when I say stuck, I mean fixed. I mean, I'm done, leave me alone. I mean, I'm doing the best I can. I don't have time, blah, blah, blah. Lots of language that reveal why they see themselves as stuck. And the other yeah, part of the continuum is a learning expert. Because, you know, if you're going to be a top leader, you better be an expert. And you also, if you're going to be a, a committed to staying an expert, you must be committed to continually learning. You know, so where someone is on that continuum, if they're stuck, like fixed mindset or growth mindset, like a learning expert, you know, having a conversation with your team about where they are on that continuum, how they see themselves, that'd be a great exercise. Have everybody rank everybody on where they are on that continuum. Are you stuck, like not doing anything new, trying the same old thing? you know, uh, justifying why things aren't working or are you a learning expert? Are you continuously asking questions? When you blow it, do you bring it to the team proactively and say, Hey guys, I blew this. I was blind to it. 
I'm not seeing something. Can you help me? That's what learning experts would do. You know, and so where do they see themselves? Question one, where do other people see them? And the discrepancy between those two plot points, there will be one. Either too low, like a shamey conversation, like I don't, I'm not very much, I can't try, blah, blah, or arrogant on the other side. And it's good to know where the person is with those things. That will, you know, bring about a lot of the needed conversations. Yeah. Let's, um, I'd love to flip this coin over and talk about what's possible. Yeah. What, uh, how good can it get when trust is a founding principle? on a leadership team uh, from person, from your personal experiences to your clients experiences. Uh, you know, I think for myself, I'll speak personally and I think maybe people will be able to relate to it is when I'm in the thick of something that's not working, I often, it's difficult for me to imagine uh, and, and just use uh yeah, just use my imagination a bit to to think about, well, how good can this get? What's possible here for me and for our team? And I know that we've touched on a few of them, but it'd be great, I think, to hear from both of you explicitly about what you've witnessed when there's trust instilled and, you know, th- it is a founding principle for a team. Well, you know, I, let's start with, the, actually, when, when there's not trust, it's a great opportunity to produce trust. Because a lot mm-hmm. of times I think if the trust is broken, it's gone or you can't. But actually, it, breakdowns are really great opportunities to deepen the trust by the way you handle it. And one it's of the, a renewable resource. Yeah, it's like it's yeah, it's perishable. You know, think about it, it's perishable. It requires ten to ten. Yeah, days, yeah. Right. And we have a, a founder who I've been talking to him over. He's he's a pretty brilliant guy, and and um, he gets stuck and he gets he gets angry. And the other day he said, I said, look, you know, why don't you go. He was upset about someone who reports to him and he's put him on a task and they kind of half-assed it in, in his view. And he's right. They did. And he was really upset that, well, why are they, you know, why I just get tired of this. I don't want to, now they want to have a, a meeting with me and try to get me off of the, you know, get me to over budget another $3 million. Right. And I just don't want to have the, you know, I'm just going to listen to him, make the pitch. And we, and we said, well, what, what's, what's your purpose in that? Right. And he sat and thought, and I said, look, what if you learned what her struggle is? Like, because you're complaining that she doesn't have your thinking, but how often do you let her into your thinking by vetting her thinking? Right. So he's like, uh, and, and and he agreed that he go do it. Adrian and I had a good talk with him. Was, we double teamed him pretty hard. And he, he goes, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do it. So later on, he calls me back. He's jacked. He goes, well, this is open line. I really wanted to make you wrong about all this because I like being a jerk. But I have to tell you, it really worked. I got into it with her and just listened to what she had to say and said, and, you know, drew some questions out, had her think about it. Pretty soon she goes, oh, she gets up, she leaves. And one of the things, they were having some problems with a, a, a supplier and she went and found out what the problems were. And she said, well, would you mind if we sent an engineer to overlook the, the supply, the production of what they're going to be supplying? And they said, yeah, no problem. Just don't send the guy you sent last time. And she goes, last time, tell me. So one of the one of the guys that they sent was because the guy was the laziest engineer I ever worked with. We never got anything done, but send me somebody who's really up for it. So now she comes back to this 
to our client and says what happened and she's really excited and they discovered somebody on their team that needs to be corrected and they you know they didn't know and now they know and now they're going to send an engineer who can get it done and it solved a lot of issues and she started looking at other things she never looked at before and he realized and he was finding things out he didn't know that were actually getting way of the team and now she has more of his thinking and he has more information about what's wanted and needed and so the trust is deeper between he and this the, the gal he's working with, and, and she's excited about her job. That's what he said. She's excited about doing what before seemed like, kind of like, oh, I got to do it, like Eeyore. Oh, I got to do it. Now she's excited and exhausting all possibilities. And he, and, and he couldn't believe that that came out of him taking the time to understand what she truly was struggling with and that maybe question his thinking that she was just lazy, right? Because he was sure she was just lazy and didn't care. Hmm. And it wasn't that case. But that's an example. So the trust, right? So so trust, you know, when you when it's in place, I, I think, who is it that wrote the book, The Speed of Trust? One Covey. Of Covey, yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's really a great title, I thought. And it's a good book because things move a lot quicker. All of a sudden, things free up. Right. Mm-hmm. That's why it's good to slow down and really clear the space because then you're going to move much quicker. Right. And if it gets stuck, it's probably something that needs to be talked about, discussed that the culture doesn't normally allow to come to the surface. Yeah. Part of the, the, your story really illuminated it. I was going to say the big thing is on the front end is what I'm going to call the advocacy gamble. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, nice, nice word. You're good someone, ought to, someone ought to write a book about it. <laughs> um, trademarked right here. Um, but the the advocacy gamble, which is really what I'm, it won't be new if you're around and listening to us. But this is this is really, at least for me, a big deal. I mean, a bit, I when we, when we talk about coaching, when I talk about coaching, I let new clients know that I'm a fierce advocate for you. So I'm willing for things to be to have, to have all the uncomfortable conversations, to say the things I don't want to say to maybe get it wrong, to look like an idiot for you. That's why I care about you enough to be the fool. And I'm going to advocate for you and, and, and enter the, you know, the dark waters for you. So I'm coming for you. Now that's an advocate. And that's, now that's a gamble. Why I say it's the advocate, like to, to, to choose to believe in people is a gamble. It's yeah. not as safe as using people. You know, and that's why we don't do it. And one of the reasons why we don't do it, there's lots of reasons why we don't do you it. You might not get what you want. Okay. Yeah, you might not get what you want. They might leave you. They might use you. They might backbite. They might come out, you know, they might, you know, leverage your vulnerability and, 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 uh, you know, run a coup against you. There's lots of reasons why not to do it. But if you want, you know, to build, how do you build trust, you know, generate trust, especially if it's broken? is to decide to want the best for the person, even if I don't get what I want. That, that's what that person did that you were just talking about, right? Is to, to getting off of the frustration that he was having about what wasn't happening and yeah. get connected to the person that generated what was happening that he didn't like. And then through that connection he had with the person that was generating what he didn't like, Something new happened between them. Yeah. Right. So getting 
You know, it's like imagery wise, you know, a lot of times people see conflict and this is a podcast, so you can't, you can't see it, what I was going to act out, but it's like people typically think I'm over here, you're over there. And between us is the problem. And what the advocate does is comes around the problem and sits next to the person that has the problem and says, okay, how do we work on this together? And if the person gets up and walks back to the other side of the problem, the advocate goes walking with them. Okay, we're going for a walk, I see. You <laughs> talk about I know you don't want to be next to you, but... I know. This is it. This is it. I care enough about what we're up to, and I care enough about you that I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, that's a stand we talk about a ton, but that's a commitment to the person and to the outcome. So don't give up the commitment to the outcome. But realize the route to the outcome comes always through people and through the powerful, you know, conversation that's generated from a thoughtful, committed leader. Yeah. You know, one of the best, one of the most profound uh, examples of this, if you ever watch the movie The Chosen with Rod Steiger and Bobby Benson, Robbie Benson, it's a very interesting show because it's it's a true story about a two Jewish boys, one of them's Orthodox and the other one's Hasidic. And their fathers, one father is a Hasidic rabbi and the other one is an Orthodox Jew who's a journalist. And this is right at the time when Israel is forming a state. But it was really interesting because, you know, because the Hasidics didn't want the state and the Orthodox did. And so there was lots of conflict. And it's But the, the story in the story is about this Hasidic father and his son who's a genius and has a photographic memory. And he he sees his son mistreat people as a young boy because he's so smart. So he knows he has to tenderize his son's heart. So through the whole movie, you don't understand why his father, who's this Rod Steiger, outgoing, wonderful, relational man, speaks to everybody, but he doesn't speak to his son. Hmm. All three, and you think these like what? This is a hypocrite. How? And at the end, when you realize spoiler why. Spoiler alert! Yeah, you realize why. And, and I'll let you see the movie, but it, well, I'll just tell you what the spoiler alert. Here it is, because it, it's the story. Do it. He doesn't because he wants his son to have a heart. He knows his son's going to be fine intellectually, but he wants his son to have a heart for other people, and because they don't know what he knows. He knows that if he doesn't get relational, he'll never be able to impart his gift to other people, nor will mm-hmm. he receive the gift of other people. Yeah. So, you know, and this guy takes, Steiger takes all this, you know, people judge him because of it. And he's, and you see what happens in the end. His son becomes a psychiatrist, goes to Columbia to become a psychiatrist, which he, he was supposed to take his father's place as a rabbi. Instead, he goes and works at Columbia, as a, a, and you know, goes to school there and then becomes a psychiatrist, and his father's willing. He says, yeah, no, you go do it. Now I know you're a human. That's all that mattered. Basically, you're a human. So you, you, now you can give your gift to the world. Mm. It's a great story. That, that's very, that reminds me of the, uh, my, at least my interpretation of the arc of Steve, Steve Jobs' life and some of the things that he said at the end of his life is that he could have his gift could have gone so much further had he been willing to be relational. Yeah, much deeper. He got relational later, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had to be fired, you know, to get it. Yep. Yeah. 
It can get good. Again. I mean, it can get real good. I mean, I think about the times in my life when I'm sitting shoulder to shoulder with my comrades working on a problem rather than putting it between us. And, uh, and those are some of my most favorite things to work on and people to work with, you know, and in, in, in these conversations with my clients, at least as they're considering their options and opportunities, uh, my question to them is always, you know, what problems do you want to solve and with whom? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what work is and that's what our teams are. And, and that's the opportunity that we have is to work on some meaningful problems with some great people. Yep. Uh, and that's, that's what's come out of this conversation for me. So thanks so much, gentlemen, for showing up. Really great stuff here. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Chad. conversation, always. Thanks, man. Okay, bye-bye, everybody. Ciao. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.